Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, where I have with me professional wrestler Effie, who is one of the first openly queer wrestlers and the current Fest Wrestling Champion. Along with you have wrestled in several other promotions, including All-Star Wrestling Network, Atomic Wrestling Entertainment, and Premier Wrestling Experience, to name a few. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am hopped up on kombucha and coconut curry soup. So I'm ready to go into into any kind of detail you're feeling. I'm feeling good tonight. Oh boy, this is going to be a good one to talk about everything. So you have a very interesting story on how you got into wrestling and how you came into pro wrestling. What was going on with you prior to entering the wrestling business? Well, I was what you would call the life of the party. I'd gotten out of college, finished up. I'd been sort of a mess in college and kind of known for it, but still could keep my stuff together. I still graduated with a degree, which is cool. But I kind of moved down to Florida and I was having a good time. I wasn't a guy who said no. So I was getting into a lot of different drugs, a lot of boozing, and I finally hit a wall when I took a lot of LSD and I tripped for like five days and ended up in the hospital. And from then on, I went clean and sober. And I'd previously met this guy named White Trash Fred at an early NXT show when Bo Dallas was still in there. And he had helped me start my car and signed an 8x10 for me that said, follow your dreams. And if I ever wanted to train to be a wrestler, to call him. So after I got sober, I did that. And I started training in 2013. I would drive out about an hour and a half to this town called Live Oak. I would train in a field. There was just a wrestling ring in the middle of the field. It was 110 degrees some days. The Florida humidity is really bad. And I did that for like eight or nine months. And then I said, you know what? I've learned as much as I can here. I'm ready to get going. And I started lying my way into bookings and getting booked on shows. So now to backtrack a little bit, you quit. What was that like? It was crazy because every day you get off work, you finish work, and your body sort of has to switch from work mode to something else. A lot of people do that through exercise or they do that through hobbies. But I was just basically doing it through smoking a ton of weed, getting drunk on scotch. It was like, hey, let me down a half a bottle of scotch tonight and just sit in my room, hang out or go out and do dangerous stuff or go to the bar. So you make that switch and it was like, once I got in a wrestling ring, it made sense. And being able to perform and you know i'd previously played in bands i'd done some touring i played a lot of different instruments i had been in an experimental hip-hop group where it was all performance based for me but this was the most freeing version of performance that i've ever felt because obviously there's a lot of rules in wrestling there's a lot of ways you do things correctly but once you understand the correct way to do things you can sort of play with that idea and be able to play with perception and play with my body in the ring play with how i come across and tell a story was the most eye-opening fun creative thing and i didn't really need the drugs anymore because i was creating my own world anyway and now you come into professional wrestling and you find a trainer how'd you go about finding a trainer how did your training be broken up both physically and psychologically i think i came in a little physically prepared but the training i started to realize halfway through there's only so much i'm going to learn from this guy and what I found when different people would come in and train as well, or I would go to a show and talk with people even before I'd actually been in the wrestling ring wrestling, there's a whole world out here that I need to learn from. And just sticking here and learning from one person isn't really going to get me to the place I need to be. So taking paid gigs to learn is not really smiled at most of the time, but it was the best option for me. So just started learning on the fly once I got through that training portion to where I said, if I'm going to be the best I can be, I got to sharpen this knife. And this knife sharpener here isn't doing me much good. So I got to get out there and really train and figure out who I really am. But I did come into it with a very specific 
idea of what I was going to do. I'd been discovering myself and my sexuality and who I really was. And I knew, especially being in the South, that I could play with that perception a lot. I could mess around with that. The whole idea of Effie was this heel character. And it was the assumption. Don't make the assumption about me, about who I am. And I could really mess with people's psyche in the ring. So coming in with that idea already in my mind and having that, it gave me a really good platform because a lot of guys spend years figuring out how to master a character in the ring. I think I came in with a character first and then I really started to learn how to wrestle. And let's talk about that because where do you draw Effie out of and how much is you, how much is the character, how do they intersect with one another and how is this all created for you? I've started to tell people honestly that I'm more a character outside of the ring than I am in it. I feel fully free in the ring to do whatever I want to be whoever I am. And when I've got to live in the real world and put on a polo shirt and put on some khakis, that's more of a dress up game to me than going out there in my gear and riling people up and maybe pissing people off or doing crazy things. That's who I really am. And I think previous to getting drugs and alcohol out of my life, I had two separate versions of myself. The first being the clean Uber, go to class, do your thing. And the other being this wild part. Party animal. And once I sobered up, I felt like they combined and I became one big, weird creature. So there wasn't that separation anymore. And it's authentically me now. And I've had a lot of people say, well, you're acting it up or you're acting more feminine than you are. You're acting crazier than you are. And I'm like, have you met me though? Because a lot of people, once they finally meet me outside of the ring and they've only seen me from a distance, they start seeing, oh God, he might actually be crazier in real life than he's even portraying himself out here. He's wild. And I want people to be able to see what I'm presenting out there is really authentic. If you ask and talk to people who know me best, they're going to tell you that he might actually be holding back a little bit. And now you mentioned something about your ring gear. You come out in fishnets sometimes. What's the story behind that? Oh, yeah. Well, it's one of those things where I was like, look, my in-ring style is that of a brawler. I'm pretty aggressive. I'm very physical. I want my matches to feel like a real fight. I want there to be emotion. I don't want it to ever look choreographed. There might be spots in there or moves in there, but I want it to feel like there's real emotion between the performers, and it's not just two guys who are going to shake hands at the end because they had a good athletic competition. I want it to feel really real. And part of that is playing those mind games. And when I come out and I've got a sparkly jacket on and I've got fishnets on and I'm looking feminine and I'm walking feminine and I'm acting sexual, I want them to be thrown off by that, whether they're in the audience or they're in the ring across from me. I want them to be thrown off by what's going on. So entering the ring, being in these fishnets and having them undermine me as a performer, and then I explode on them, literally, and start really putting physical pain in there and really showing off my strength. It makes people forget how big of a person I am. 6'1", I'm 220 pounds. They're not going to be able to ignore it once the ring bell starts. But if they can forget in their minds that they're looking at an actual giant physical being who's got the muscle, who's got the speed, who's able to throw you down on the ground. And I always say you can come out dressing really flashy, flashy jacket. You've got the fishnets on. That's going to get over. That's guaranteed to get over. Once I get out and I actually have to get in the ring, it's me trying to outwork my outfit to get the person over, to get the actual physical physical being over over the outfit being cool and given that you come out flashy how do you feel that's received by fans it's sort of a 50 50 split a lot of people have brought me in specifically to be a heel to be a bad guy and i've said it before they may hate me the first time but i've kind of got an infection about me to where i can sort of go out there i can present myself the way i am and then all of a sudden people start taking a liking to me because I'm kind of playful. I'm fun. I'm exciting. It's fun to watch me in the ring. So they can't really hate me for that long. And once they realize, all right, this guy's just out here having a good time. And it puts people in a position to say, this dude can be out 
here in fishnets and sparkly jackets and dance around and still be taken seriously as a performer, I can do whatever I want too. So hopefully it opens doors for people to say, I can be whoever I want to be. And now in wrestling, there's been a few people who have fit into similar categories as you do of being gay, lesbian, bi, including Darren Young, Sonya Deville, Pat Patterson, Orlando Jordan. And when you came out as queer in your personal life and in your professional wrestling career, was there any fear from your friends, family, and fans on how they would react to everything that Effie is? And how do you deal with that and continuously deal with that? It was sort of a surprising thing. It didn't deal with anything in my personal life. People are good. I don't keep bad people in my life. So whether that's confirmation bias or whatever you want to call it, people who would disagree with who I am, I don't really keep them around. I was a little more nervous about like the locker room reaction to it. Obviously, you're in a locker room. Dudes are getting changed. Dudes act weird. It's a really macho business. What's the reaction going to be when they find out you're the way you are? And what you come to find out, oddly enough, is that most of these guys sort of see an opening and you kind of present yourself as queer and you accept who you are and maybe they have something in them that they haven't acknowledged and I sort of became a target to where instead of being harassed in a negative way I was sort of harassed in a positive way where guys felt like they could talk a little more sexual to me or guys felt like they could slap my ass a little more or guys felt like they could come up behind me and touch me in a certain way and it's sexual harassment but it's also kind of a positive thing if they feel comfortable embracing themselves maybe who they are who they can't embrace when they're in the rest of the world around me maybe they'll open themselves up to the world a little more later and who knows how that'll go so it's an oddly positive thing and speaking about the wrestling business and the wrestling business has massively progressed i mean the 90s definitely dealt with being homophobic to put it bluntly and currently several wrestlers have done some gay angles out there and they're making some serious money off of it and we might be making a few enemies here but how do you feel the way the wrestling industry is going with those angles and really representing the lgbtq side of things I'm fine with any kind of interpretation of how people want to do sexual or a gay angle. But I think what people are going to find out is Stone Cold said it best. He said, your best character is you turned up to 11. And there's a lot of people still even in independent wrestling that do queer or gay type gimmicks who live extremely heterosexual lives who are heterosexual people and that's fine but people claim and people really want authenticity so when they can sense that you're not being true to yourself and you're just playing a gimmick they're going to be turned off by that and they might not be at first but once they can start figuring things out there's definitely going to be a moment where they're not happy with it so for you to find who your authentic self is and be that person if you really think you want to go in and have a gay angle go in and have a gay angle but people are going to catch on and figure out it's not authentic to you it's not who you really are and they're going to end up being turned off by that and i want longevity in my career i want a long career in wrestling i want to continue being creative i want to continue trying new things and the only way i can do that and make sense of it is to just be myself so if they want to go down that path they want to pretend to be gay they want to pretend to be effeminate that's cool but it's going to catch up to you and probably not in a positive way and now before we make too many enemies I want to back out of this and start talking a little bit about your career before we both get into some massive trouble. Oh, I'll get into more trouble than that. You didn't even get into the shady stuff. So to start talking about your career, one of your first matches was an all-star wrestling network against Fry Daddy. What was this match like for you, considering that it was one of your first matches you ever did? Listen, I have some really old matches. That was sort of a middle-of-the-road thing, and Fry Daddy's really great. 
but I think we could have done more. You know, working those AWN shows for me, timeline-wise, was difficult because the shows were at eight. They were three hours away from me. I would leave work. I would drive for three straight hours. I would get there at bell time. So there was never a moment where we had time to really figure out what the match would be. And in a way, it makes you a stronger performer because you've got to go out there on the fly. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone for five minutes. And excuse my kayfabe for admitting that we have conversations before matches. But when you get there and you say, okay, we're going on in 10 minutes. Let's discuss this, but I've got to get changed at the same time. We've got to fill 15 minutes out there. You're really coming up with it on the fly. And having those moments, it can sometimes lead to a little bit of issues in the ring. But if you had more time with someone, if you had two or three matches with that person, you'd find a rhythm. And it takes a little time sometimes to find that rhythm with someone. So Friday is somebody I'd like to go back and work more with because we made it work on the fly. But it's one of those things where, man, if we had two more battles, by the end of that third battle, we'd really know each other back and forth and be able to play off that. A guy named Tony Storm, we've probably had 100 matches together. We wrestled last weekend. It was one of those things where we said two or three different little things to each other before, got out in the ring, wrestled 20 minutes, and it was great. And we have that level of comfort to where we can both beat the crap out of each other. And the audience is going to think we hate each other. And the finish is going to be really beautiful because we both trust each other enough and we've been in the ring with each other enough to where we know we're going to make a show, we're going to make it happen, and we're going to tell a story. And would you say that, given that you didn't have enough time, that it made you better at being able to call a match while you're in the ring? Yeah, for sure. Because there was another time at All-Star Wrestling Network, they put me with a guy really last second. I can't remember his name right now. And I said, what's your finish? We'll call it in the ring. And that's a really old school way to do things. And a lot of guys want to have every choreographed part, every choreographed part. When you're telling a story, you don't necessarily need all those choreographed parts. You need emotion. You need moments. And we got finished with the match. I think he beat me. And we came to the back and he was like, that was really fun. I've never just called a match in the ring like that. I was like, yeah, dude, that's wrestling. It's being able to have a secret conversation out there. You know, Ric Flair was showing up 10 minutes before his matches, meeting a guy he'd never met before, who's the world champion of that region, and he's got his championship, and he's got to make this dude look like a million bucks. And they're going to wrestle for a full hour, and they're just going off the fly. A lot of people say, well, Ric Flair had the same match every night. Yeah, but he knew how to have that match in front of a new audience, and there wasn't the internet, and there wasn't everybody watching every single match. This was early tv he could have these long matches but he would adapt to each performer and that's what wrestling really needs to be and what is kind of missing right now and i think a lot of the fans that are watching wrestling are starting to get that way anybody can really choreograph and train a sequence but to actually get in the ring and feel each other out and know where your story is going to go and start feeling the crowd feeling their energy and creating those moments it takes a little more than just practice in a ring it takes kind of a feel and to kind of jump off some of the stuff you just said, you've had a few interesting matches throughout 2016. We mentioned Tony Storm, and you were placed into sort of a title picture, the NWA Florida Heavyweight Semifinal Tournament. Well, that was kind of crazy. We did a lot of matches that year. And what's really funny about it is I started as this ultimate bad guy heel who everybody hated in that building. And about halfway through what we were doing, the momentum completely switched to where everybody wanted me to win and nobody wanted Tony or anybody else to win or Mason or whoever was around. And being able to be a part of that, to see an entire group of people who are there every month who want to see the storyline go on, completely turn both of these people naturally over time. And we're not really doing anything different than we were. It's pretty intense and it's a really cool thing to be a part of. 
And what is that like for you when you're turning a crowd just by being you and seeing the audience shift? It's really interesting because I never want to put myself on too big of a pedestal, but you go into these towns that are pretty strictly conservative. They may not have much education about a lot of things, and you might have been the only queer person they've ever met. There's just not a lot of people like that around them that are open and out there and here I am, look at me. So you sort of are met with this negative reaction at first and watching it turn in your favor is not like turning a whole district from red to blue, but it sort of gives you this feeling that there's hope in the world, that not everybody is strictly hateful and people's opinions can be changed, especially with a close interaction with someone. It can make a huge difference. So it was extremely cool to be a part of. And I still see it all the time. You go in somewhere and there still might be homophobic slurs or stuff thrown around. And you have people coming up to you talking about, man, that was excellent. You're a really great performer. And I'm like, 30 minutes ago, you were yelling some screwed up stuff at me. And they're like, I know, and I'm sorry, whatever. It got the best of me. And you kind of see these people automatically turn. And then the next time you're back, they're really excited to see you. It's a weird feeling, but it's really cool to see. And to continue some of these interesting matches you had, you had a triple threat with Christian Walker and Logan Stevens for the vacant Sunbelt Wrestling Entertainment title. What was it like going up against these two men? And was it a similar situation that was going on with Tony Storm and some other people? Those two guys, especially in the South, are great examples because... You know, in real life, Logan Stevens and Christian Walker are both figures of the Christian community in that area. And Logan Stevens is the Jesus freak. And Christian Walker is this desperado cowboy who comes out and in real life leading the youth to Christ. So to be able to take a person like myself, who is not a person who has a lot in common with either of them in real life, and they know that and I know that, and to be able to tell a story based on those real life facts and to have that fight in the ring is really interesting because it shows a maturity of their level as performers and my level as performers to be able to put personal differences aside, but also use those personal differences to play with the crowd reaction. And that makes for a much better story when people are sitting in the audience going, hold up, did you know Effie's really queer? And then they're going, yeah, but did you know Logan's really a youth pastor? And we're good and chummy in the back, but out there we can really play on the fact that they think we're truly bitter enemies. And that's awesome to be able to move the crowd around like that without them ever thinking that maybe it's just to work and those real moments that's all you have left they're going to look at your punch and say well that's a fake punch but if they feel like there's real emotion there they can't deny that so it's a good opportunity to be able to play with that a little bit and obviously i would imagine that you have differences just based on where three of you are coming from and the fact that you're decent with each other in the back do you feel that that helps make your matches better with people who you perform with if you somehow find some common ground? A hundred percent. But some of the best matches I have are people that I wouldn't necessarily get along with at all in real life. And maybe we're not even cool in the back, but we get out there and we act professional and we do what we need to do. And maybe we hit each other a little bit harder and maybe it feels a little more real. And sometimes that's good. And we don't have to hang out in the back and have fun afterwards. We can just have our match in the ring. We can tell our story in the ring and be done with it. And that can be just as exciting as wrestling somebody who you know really well or who you get along with really well. And then following this, because this is the match that I enjoyed the most of yours, which was your first Battle Royale at Fest, where you face ah. some familiar men and some new faces, and a lot of fun stuff was going on in this match. What was that like, being part of this and dealing with everybody back there and having a good time with it? I'm going to backtrack a little bit on that and just say, when I first got to be a part of Fest, it was because I had sent them an email. And I sent the promoter, Tony, an email. And I sent him my typical basic resume with my videos, with who I've worked for, that sort of stuff. 
And he was like, this is the best booking email I've ever seen. My college degree is in public relations with a minor in crisis communication. But I knew how to send a proper business email. I knew how to make myself look professional. And he picked up on that. And he gave me five-minute opening match at the first Fest show, which was right before this. And then he was like, hey, man, let's get you in this rumble. And being booked on those shows and kind of looking around and being like, hey, man, the guy booking here, some of the best in the Indies. They're people I've watched on DVDs. They're people that I've paid to go see with tickets. If somebody told me they were coming around, I would probably go see them. And to be a part of that as a member of the locker room was really eye-opening because not only was it exciting for me as a performer, but it kind of let me know, okay, there's a thin line here to where if I want to get to that next level, I can do it. And I'm a part of it now. And these are now some of my peers and they're willing to help me out and they're willing to teach me more and give me booking tips and help me out with contact. And it's been a really eye-opening, wonderful experience that obviously that battle royal really kicked some stuff off because I want it. And that gave me some huge opportunities in the upcoming year and made me a staple of fest, which I am absolutely blessed for. And what were some of the things that you picked up on winning this battle royale and from veterans for lack of a better word what you run into there's people who've never heard of you before and in wrestling it's a who you know game so when somebody sees you and is impressed by you they say hey i let so-and-so promoter know about you and let them know i thought you were really impressive and it opens new doors for you but also it being in a match with let's say like matt cross i had a lot of match with matt cross and watching him call that ladder match was really eye-opening too because the way he approaches a match is different than most people approach a match and someone like matt cross who's working on lucha underground who's working all the major indies of the united states who's a huge independent wrestling star to go over a match with you and explain why things are where it really helps you as a performer see a bigger picture than maybe you've been able to see before and that's just a tiny example you work with these guys and you say okay they're not much different than me but there's some things they're doing that could make what i'm doing so much better and being able to sit back and be humble and learn from them is an awesome experience and why not talk about ladders right now there was a very interesting match with a few people, and we're going to list them. Sue Young, Angel Rose, Jason Cade, Matt Cross, Vita Scott, and Teddy Stigma were involved with you, of course, in a seven-way ladder match. Which was crazy. And I think even crazier than that was, for whatever reason, there's a lot of ladder matches that end up getting booked that time of year. So that was actually my third ladder match that month. And my body was feeling it. And especially getting into a seven-person match, it's a little harder to stand out when you've got seven people there. So you take bigger risks. And if people go back and watch that first match, you know, the lighting's not great. We're outdoors. We had to change venues last time. But there's some crazy, crazy spots in that match that are extremely dangerous. But I think we pulled them off pretty safely and made an exciting time for everybody that came out that night. And what was it like being in the ring with the undead bride? You know, me and Stu have had quite a few interactions at this point. She is an intense person to be in the ring with. And I think secondary to that, one thing we both have in common is we're not necessarily worried about what happens to our bodies while we're in the ring. So there's a lot of risks that get taken that can be extremely rewarding and exciting for the fans. But we're not necessarily thinking about what would happen if they go wrong. So people get the most erratic version of things when I'm in a ring with Sue Young. And I'd love to get back in the ring again. I actually won my Fest championship from her a little later on. And now before we get to that match, because we're going to talk about that, there's a few other things that were going on first, where you won some type of gold to end, I believe, 2016 with AWN. Boy, did I. So they had a title there that was kind of their secondary title called the Heritage Championship. 
and it was held by Tyson Dean. And Tyson Dean actually runs the Bull Club School in Georgia that's part owned by Luke Gallows and those fellows. I think AJ Styles comes down there a bit too. And he held this Heritage Championship. And I said to myself, what has Heritage given Effie? Heritage hasn't given much to Effie. Heritage has led to a lot of hate. Heritage is the Confederate flag. Heritage is old views. So I won the belt from him using equality rules on a countout void. And I changed it to the equality belt. And I painted that belt pink. And I covered it in Effie logos. And I held the equality belt high above those people and said, your heritage is dead, but equality is now here. And to get to go into that with a villainous point of view, but with a correct point of view, was really exciting. And they gave me sort of the creative freedom to create my own champion out of it. it was a very cool thing. Did you feel righteous when you did it? Brother, I always feel righteous. The best heel, the best bad guy is one that believes he's right. And boy, I knew I was right in that situation. And what did they think of you doing this? Because I'm really curious if they ever told you what they thought. You know, I don't think they loved it. It was definitely an interesting angle. I think they wanted to give me a little bit of freedom. I didn't hold the championship for that long, but I had fun while I was doing it. And it gave me the opportunity to show what I could do on my own, which was create something entirely new. And I'm always trying to write storylines that haven't been done before. And having the equality championship was a first. And now after this... 2017 got very interesting for you, and it kind of started with you forming a team called Effie Loves Beastly with the Beastly Brody. How did this tag team form? Well, I'd seen Beastly wrestle, and I thought, look, what would be funnier than me coming out with a big hairy boy on a leash and unleashing my big hairy boy on everyone, my beast? So we entered the tag tournament at Fest called the Love Cup. And I brought him out on a leash and I took him off the leash and we got pretty far in that tournament. And I think we tagged up again after that. But a guy like Beastly Brody is really interesting because he's fully committed to the gimmick and he's fully an animal in the ring and he's wild to watch and he's crazy and he'll bite your butt. And having him as a partner is really fun because he's willing to go crazy and do anything he needs to do to win. And it was an awesome time. And now we got to talk about the Fest Love Cup because that kicked off a very interesting rivalry that has gone through a few transformations all throughout 2017 against Awaken. How did these matches play out with the first one being in the Love Cup? I couldn't quite figure out what Leon Scott ever had against me. He's a big, scary guy. And the Love Cup, I believe, was the second time we had interacted. The first time being at the Pickle in the Tree ladder match, he attacked me and took me out of that match. Gave me a giant like Razor Ramon stunner from the sky off that ladder. And We'd had interactions again, and it sort of created this heated rivalry over the course of the year where we push each other to the limit. And I think it peaked later on. I don't know if you want me to give away the spoilers, but it peaked later on in uh, in a Fans Bring the Weapons match that was out of control. And it was a really fun night where all bets were off. I got cigarettes burned on me. I got watermelons thrown against my head. I fled down the stairs and gave him forearms. We sort of got to just be ourselves and go crazy. And we knew each other's limits and we kind of tested them. And it was a really intense rivalry that built me up to a level in fest that I never expected. And prior to this match, you were involved in a few other matches that centered around him with Wolf Taylor was in there, elimination matches. How do you feel that you had all these matches leading up to that fans bring a weapons match? I think it built a really strong rivalry with us that was great. Here's a secret that's never been told. I've only ever had one singles match with Wolf Taylor, and it was at WrestleMania last year. 
in the Kaiju Big Battle event. And I'm not going to tell you what match it was, but we were in full costume with referee Bryce Rimsberg from Chikara and had a monsters battle. And that's the only time we've ever faced one-on-one. Every other time we've faced, it's been with Leon and Awaken in multi-man scenarios. And now to talk about the fans bring the weapons match, you kind of ruined the spoiler, but we're going to talk about it anyway. How did you go prepare for a match like that? Not exactly knowing what's going to be out there. The secret is you don't. You don't prepare at all. You kind of see as fans are coming in what's being brought. You can sort of plan a little bit beforehand, but you also have a lot at your disposal to sort of create this emotion and this story in there. And we didn't even use half the weapons that people brought because people got excited and brought a lot of weapons in for that. And the ones we did use, I think, were very good. I think I even threw Ref Ranky at him at one point while his head was in a trash can. So even the referee was fair use as a weapon. It probably went on longer than it should. I think it's like a 33-minute match. But we used everything in that building, and we tried to kill each other. And it was incredible. And there was a rematch of some sorts where it was a dog collar I quit match. How did this match come about, and what the hell was going on in this match? Well, it's really an old school gimmick to do a dog collar like that, chained together. We can't get away from each other. I think I realized about a minute of that match that having a dog collar around your neck is not the best for breathing. So we were both pretty short of breath starting out, and we took it to the limit. I think there were a lot of spots that people would see and question the integrity of our necks after that match, and they would be correct. I was sore for probably a few months after that because your neck just keeps getting thrown around, and you're being thrown by a chain that's hooked to a leather band around your neck. So the thing you're supposed to protect the most your neck is the center of everything that's happening to you and i think it was a fitting finish to the feud for now and i finally got my win over leon scott in that match i made him tap out i made him quit and i even got to crowd surf that night over everybody and what is it like to crowd surf just because i'm curious now man it's nerve-wracking because i'm a big dude so i was worried that everybody could keep me up but i think there were enough people that were excited that i floated along pretty effortlessly for at least a good while before i got eventually dropped to the ground with you know, it happens. You can't hold a 200-pound man over your head for that long. And now to backtrack, because other things were going on during this year, and you got an opportunity in Atomic Wrestling Entertainment to challenge for their cruiserweight title against Chase Morantz and Alex Todd. What was this match like, and what is it like to be involved in a cruiserweight position? I think I gimmicked the scale a little bit. The most fun I can remember from that night is getting thrown to the outside. I pulled a dollar out of my trunk, and I threw it on a guy in the front row, and I said, Honey, you need to go get me a drink. And he came back with a Coke, and as soon as I cracked that Coke and get a sip of the beverage, Chase was flying out of the air onto me, and I was eating the floor. I ended up not winning that night. I think previously had challenged for their tag championships with Leo Farrell on a couple occasions, but I never quite won the gold there. So maybe I need to go back and try again. And now I want to talk about what I think a lot of people want to know, which is your war with Sue Young, because that's the fun thing to talk about, the undead bride. How did your match come up with her, and what is it like going up against her? It's very intense. And, you know, this started a little while before at that ladder match, the second annual ladder match that I was a part of again, where she had entered herself in this match, even though she was already the champion, which kind of shows you what a psychopath she is. And the final moments of this match are me and her on top of this ladder. We've been fighting all over the place. There's a bunch of other people in that match. And she tries to get me with the blood. And I went in and I sucked the blood out of her mouth, mouth to mouth. 
and I sprayed it all over her face and pushed her off that ladder, and I finally won that pickle, which meant I get to challenge her. And when February rolled around, both of us were out of our minds, and we had an opportunity the night before to compete in a six-man tag. So it was me and Beastly teaming up again, as well as Ariel Monroe, who's an incredible female performer, against Darby Allen, Priscilla Kelly, and Sue, the goth team, as I like to call Darby the goth twink. I don't know how much he likes that. And we sort of got a feel for each other that night. We ended up fighting through the crowds. I tried to set her face on fire with some flame paper. And the next night, we finally got to face off, and we put each other through about every version of hell you can imagine, whether it be kendo sticks or tables or chairs or whatever else came up. I think she even whipped me on the back with the belt a few times and put me through a door. So it was a pretty crazy experience, but it all kind of ended when we collapsed on each other. I mean, we had beat just the living crap out of each other to a point where all we could do is collapse. And I collapsed on top of her and they counted three. And that's how I won that fest championship. And then I got to go on from there. I'm sure we'll get to that. And what is it like to dethrone the undead bride for you and steal her gold, which is rightfully yours and belongs with your sparkly jacket? I see people get in the ring with Sue and they're immediately terrified and they really get sucked into it. And I kind of told her from the start, I was like, you're not going to scare me. I've seen way scarier things in this world than just what you are. And I humanized her to a point where I wasn't afraid to hit back or fight back. I wasn't afraid to let her scream in my face. And seeing Sue now on impact, scaring the crap out of everybody. And from what I hear about the current tapings, it's going to get even scarier. She can be very intimidating. And to be able to knock her off that throne was super important to me and was a huge deal and was also a relief because I've been fighting and fighting and fighting and fest and never held that championship. And there'd only been two champions before me. So to be the third inaugural champion felt like a big deal. And to speak about that, I mean, the first champion for everybody who's watching Raw is Ruby Riot, and the second is Sue Young. So do you find any pressure knowing that the two champions before you are arguably some of the best wrestlers in the world? Well, it's a huge pressure, but it's also a thing that a big opportunity, which is look what they did with the Fest Championship. They elevated themselves. But what can I do to elevate the Fest Championship? It's not always about elevating yourself. You know, a lot of guys have this belief, and this is probably getting a little too shooty for you, but a lot of guys have this belief that they've got to be booked everywhere. I got to be booked in Texas and Chicago and West Virginia and New York. I got to be booked everywhere. Well, they can't even get over in their own home promotion. So what is getting booked anywhere else going to do for you when nobody at your own home promotion cares about you? It's going to be you driving a long way or getting flown out or whatever it is, and people still aren't going to remember your name at the end of it. What we got to focus on now is building up the wrestling that we're already a part of. What can I do to make my promotion better? What can I do to make my promotion more important? What can I do to make my promotion the actual destination? So I sit on this throne now with the Fest Championship thinking, how much more important can we make Fest? How much cooler can we make Fest? And that's my mission while I'm holding this belt. And to talk right about that, because it's a perfect segue in, your first title defense arguably has started that journey where you went up against the cosplay queen herself, Leva Bates. Correct. And do you remember what she cosplayed as? I don't remember. Me. She cosplayed as me. She showed up in fishnets and leather trunks and a sparkly pink jacket. And I think it's fitting. The first championship defense that I actually had was against myself in a way. And obviously me and Leva have a big size difference, but she still has such a fire in her when she's performing that she can be hard to keep up with. And I found myself at the edge of my limits that night trying to hold on to that belt. It was a very last second thing, getting able to beat her, finally locking her in the drag queen lock. 
making her tap out. But she took me through hell and she made me face the biggest fear of all, which is looking at yourself in the mirror and finding out who you really are against yourself. And how do you feel that this all played out and how do you feel that you are better after facing her? You know, she put out a video beforehand discussing the biggest fear of all was yourself. And I think really the biggest fear of all was being able to make sure that I could perform on that level. And winning the belt is one thing, but staying on top is another. It's a pretty common saying. So getting to face somebody who has that NXT experience, who has independent experience all over the world, who is a household name in most places that are wrestling fans, it's a huge honor, but it's also a really big test of who I really am as a champion. So I had to go out there and really find my space and figure out who I was. And now to cave fave a little bit, there was some hate on Twitter and she's actually one of the people who came to your defense to some degree. So given the fact that you faced her and were wrestling against her and the fact that she came to your defense and threw out a few tweets saying, I don't know exactly, I'm paraphrasing, but that she more or less respects you. How does that make you feel as a wrestler? Respect is earned, and I think we earned each other's respect in that regard. And I'm used to hate all over the internet, whatever. People are who they are. They're going to say what they're going to say. I'm confident enough in myself to not worry about it. But having somebody else by your side definitely makes that fight a little easier. I think some of the hate was over intergender fighting or whatever it is, or maybe somebody was calling me gay or something. I don't know. But whatever it is, we've got to be there for each other. In the business, we know who we are. We know what we're dealing with. And only we really know what's going on. So when we have people who think they know what the business is, who think they know what the true uh, facts about it is, you know, it can be really frustrating because you just want to shake them and be like, what you're saying is not true. What you're saying is inaccurate. But sometimes the best defense is a good offense. And it's nice to be catty back to people with that kind of hate and to have somebody by your side like Leva. And now to continue talking about Fest, because something's kind of going on and it's going to eventually reach this point. What is next with your championship and what's next besides Joey Ryan's dick? Oh, oh, oh. You know, I finished that match with Leva and I was really frustrated and I took the microphone because obviously Tony, who's the promoter, he has a tendency to bring in some big names. You know, he's brought in Sammy Callahan. He's brought in Brian Cage. He's brought in Rachel Ellering. I'm sure I could keep going down the list. Having Leva, who's kind of an internationally known star, face me, I sort of got frustrated and I said, hey man, you can keep flying guys in. You can keep paying them too much money. You can keep bringing in these superstars, but the people are going to come to see me. I said, and I don't care who you put me against. It doesn't matter to me. You can keep flying in whoever you want. Well, boom, there's the moment. Joey Ryan appearing on the screen out of Japan, giving me the message that he's coming for my championship. And I think a lot of people are expecting one of those funny ha-ha matches where I just grab his dick and LOL and maybe he wins. I'm going to beat Joey Ryan's ass because, frankly, I don't care about his dick. Frankly, I've grabbed plenty of dicks, if you want the truth. And I've never grabbed a dick that's made me flip over. So I doubt his is magical. And I think a lot of people are playing a game with him. And you come into my house, into Fest Wrestling, and you want to take my championship, well, go right ahead. Come on through. Let's have a party. But like I said before, I'm going to take him to his limits, and I'm going to beat his ass. A lot of people say Joey Ryan has Joey Ryan matches. No, no, no. Au contraire. Joey Ryan's going to have an Effie match, and he's going to have his ass handed to him. Well, I believe we just did the promotion for Fest right there. Listen, they're not going to see what they're expecting. I promise you, they think they're going, oh, big gay Effie in a match with Big Dick Joey Ryan. It's going to be so gay and funny and ha-ha. 
It's not. I'm going to pull my belt out. I'm going to get in the ring. I'm going to beat the shit out of him. And I'm going to count three. And I'm going to go home having never touched a dick, having never taken a power move from him, having never taken a mustache ride or a lollipop to the mouth. We're leaving all that shit behind. When it comes to the championship, there's nothing goofy about that. And now the final promotion that I want to talk about is a new one for you. And that is its premier wrestling experience where you've been involved in a few matches, including a 30-man Battle X Rumble, which featured several people, including Martin Stone from NXT. What was this match like for you dealing with Martin Stone, given where he's going? Let me rear back a second, because the reason I got booked in PWX is because White Mike ate whipped cream out of my ass in rural Alabama. And White Mike started making money off the T-shirts that he was selling, that he was the whipped cream boy, because he ate whipped cream out of my ass. That picture went viral on my butt, and him eating whipped cream out of it. So we booked our feud there. And the promotion stepped up and said, you know what? We got to have this match. And me and White Mike beat the crap out of each other. And it was fantastic. Well, fast forward to the Royal Battle Royal X Royal Rumble. Fast forward to Battlefield X. And I slapped the crap out of White Mike. And I didn't win Battlefield X. And I didn't come there to win Battlefield X. I came there to slap him in the mouth. Gymnasty boys. I'll slap White Mike and I'll slap Timmy if he agrees with him. I love Timmy Lou Redden, but I'll slap him too. And then I got to come back again and compete in a ladder match at PWX, the Opportunity Knox ladder match. And I got my ass handed to me because little Ian Maxwell gave me a Meteora through a ladder to the concrete floor. So, so far, it's been a lot of me hitting White Mike or slapping White Mike and then getting my ass handed to me. And it's wonderful. And how do you feel that people are reacting to that in that promotion? Well, they're reacting positively because I've sold a lot of T-shirts up there. And it's a wonderful market up there in Charlotte, North Carolina, because it's old school wrestling fans. But they also enjoy the nuances of Effie and the nuances of what I'm bringing up that way. I think it's something they hadn't really seen before. I think it's exciting. I think it's new. And they keep bringing me back. Who knows what I'll be doing? But it's always a good time at PWX. And how are you feeling about whipped cream as of now? You know, I still am not a fan of whipped cream. It's sticky. It's nasty. White Mike always has it. White Mike still sells shots of whipped cream in your mouth for a dollar at their merch table. And so he's still making money off my ass. But as I've said previously, I'm the boy who brought the groceries. And that's what counts. And on that note, I think we're going to stop talking about your career right there. But before we go, we just covered a lot of your career and not everything. I'm sure I missed certain things, but I'm very curious. What advice do you have for people who want to get into the wrestling industry and become part of this? You have to be yourself. Anything else and it's going to come across as fake. Wrestling fans are too smart now. They're too in tune with all the different products around the world. And if they feel like you're being something you're not, they're not going to react to it well. Or they're not going to react to it at all, which is even worse. So just be you, whoever that is. I know every type of person that's in wrestling. There's no reason to be scared to be a part of it. Whether you're LGBTQFRA or whether you're too small or whether you have a handicap, there's a space for you in wrestling. And it's the most exciting form of any entertainment at all. And it is the only improvisational physical theater in the round so come one come all join the show there's room for you and then finally i would like to give you an opportunity to promote yourself which i know you're gonna do so do you have a facebook twitter instagram merch and tell us what is next for effie and what we should be looking out for I do. On Facebook, I'm simply Effie, E-F-F-Y. On Instagram and Twitter, I am at Kill Effie because everybody's trying to. And my website is com, which is beefy with an extra F. Don't go to beefy.com because that's gay pornography. Go to com 
which is beefy with an extra F. And then you can get all the Effie merchandise. There's a gallery of my nipples. There's wonderful video footage. It's a really cool place for fans to come and hang out and celebrate me. What's next for me in the future? Probably a TV deal within the next 9 to 12 months. Probably an international touring schedule to be released in the fall. Probably more championships. Hashtag Effie all belt. I got Effie two belts right now. Technically Effie three belts, but I want Effie all belt. And if you don't want to book me at your promotion, well, then Effie all belts. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. And we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitch Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can definitely check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as give us a follow on Twitter at popanimecomics, like our Facebook page, Pop Anime Comics. You can definitely check out my Instagram, popanimecomics. And until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.